Dear founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. Today is May 1st, which means Mother's Day is around the corner. We'll be shining light on some amazing female founders who are moms right here all month long, including today's guest. You're also going to want to make sure you're following me on Instagram at Lindsay Pinchuk. Link is in the show notes because almost every day I'm going to be giving away an amazing gift from a mom-founded brand, but it all takes place on the gram. So make sure you're following along over there so that you can have a chance to win some incredible prizes. Before we get into today's episode, I want to give you just a little sneak peek about something I have coming up. My social media for a small business seven-day challenge finished last week, and the doors are now open for an amazing new way to work with me. I'm really excited to launch an incredible new program, Big Impact Marketing for Small Business with Little to No Budget. You can click the link in my show notes for registration. I'm limiting the space, so you want to make sure if you want to get in, you sign up soon. On to today's episode. Chrissy Vitchell is the founder and CEO of Apotheke, a home fragrance brand based in Brooklyn, New York. Back in 2011, Chrissy started out making soap in her kitchen. Wait until you hear her story with her husband, Sebastian, and selling it at local farmers markets, including the world-renowned Brooklyn Flea. Fast forward to now, Apotheke has grown and so much has changed, but their philosophy remains the same, which is creating fragrances for life's simple moments. I will tell you from experience, because I have many of their products in my own home, they are incredible. The charcoal candle is by far my favorite. All Apotheke candles are still hand-poured to this day in their new 16,000-square-foot factory in Red Hook. Aside from being a CEO, Chrissy is a busy mom to her two girls, Penny and Rosie, and you're going to hear a lot about them in today's episode. The story you're about to hear is amazing. As a founder, you're going to be on the edge of your seat wanting to know what's next, and there are some amazing appearances from some big-time execs in this episode, as Chrissy's story is just phenomenal. So you're going to come along for the ride and see where Chrissy is today, because honestly, her company is huge. Without further ado, come on in and meet Chrissy Fitchell. I cannot wait for you to hear her story. All right. Today on Dear Founder, I have Chrissy Fitchell of Apotheke. Chrissy started her home fragrance business out of her house, which is amazing. And today she has a factory and she has a flagship store and a whole brand behind her. So, Chrissy, welcome to Dear Founder. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. And as I always do, I would love for you to share this backstory with our audience and with me, because I am just meeting you today. Um, and I want to get to know you and your story 
and how you started this and why, because I am assuming like many entrepreneurs, you are filling a void in your life, especially because I know you started it out of your house. Yes, you're absolutely right. So yes, I am Chrissy Fischel. I'm the founder of Apotheki. We're a home fragrance company located in Red Hook, Brooklyn. We have a 16,000 square foot factory where we manufacture all of our candles, diffusers, and hand make our bar soaps. We just opened up our first flagship store with the hopes of two more opening up in 2022. And we have a very robust wholesale business uh, with lots of many like mom and pop shops that we sell to uh, all the major department stores. And we have a growing rapidly direct to consumer uh, website. So we're touching all bases of where we can find our customers. And I started this about 10 years ago in my kitchen, making soap to fill a void. Exactly. Correct. I had lost my job during the recession and I was a personal assistant. So kind of like those are the first people who lose the jobs, you know, they'll keep the nannies because the kids need it. But then it's like, don't worry about it. I can put my own schedule together. So I lost my job and I was living in the Hamptons with my husband. He was my husband back then. And he was a private chef and we did lots of catering and we worked with lots of beautiful homes. And I saw lots of products and these beautiful things everywhere. And while we worked on the farm, we lived on a farm, we lived and worked on a farm, sorry. And we used to grow things. And so I just wanted to do a hobby while I was out there and I didn't know what to do. I really was frustrated being a personal assistant. I didn't really love being in the catering business and, and doing that. So I just started making soap. I thought it was a great hobby while I was in the Hamptons and side note, lost my job, lost my health insurance. And my dad was very sick. And a friend of mine was like, you need to see a therapist. And I was like, I, I can't see a therapist. I don't even have health insurance. I, I can't even get my eyebrows waxed at this moment. I can't do anything. And she goes, well, then you need to get a hobby. You need to do something to just take stuff off your plate, off your brain. What can you do? And honestly, I just Googled hobbies and soap making came up. No passion for bar soap. Like just. Well, and I was going to ask you, how did you know how to make soap? So I made a lot of mistakes. I mean, it was like science in this little, little shack at the beach. And I bought a little soap making kit. It sat on my desk for about two months. I finally opened it up. I'm like, I'm such a loser. I can't even do a hobby. And so I made the soap. It was like, took me like seven hours. I made six bars of soap. It cost me like $200. And my husband came home from cooking and he always smells like the food that he cooks and he hates that. So the first thing he does as a chef, most people go home and they, they shower. So I was like, here, try this. I made it. And I made the soap and he came out and said, wow, my skin feels really moisturized. You should keep doing this. So I took this as like an okay to go spend like thousands of dollars on a credit card that, you know, with no job and to continue to make soap. And I just made soap for six months straight. And I loved it because it's kind of like, I don't know, during the pandemic, I started making a pound cake and I've made like 66 of them right now, or like 65th. I'm up to my 65th. I make a little line in the cookbook every time I make one. And the first one was horrible. The second one got a little bit better. The third one, I didn't even need to use the recipe because I knew everything. The fourth time I made it, I forgot one of the ingredients and I decided I still need to use the recipe. And I just kept doing it and doing it. So just like my pound cake two years ago, I just did this 10 years ago with bar soap. 
And I had lots of explosions. I threw out lots of pots and pans. I used to steal pots and pans from Sebastian because he was a chef. So he'd like go to work. He's like, have you seen my pasta pot? I'm like, no, no, no. I don't know where it is. I'm I'm like, I know it's in a dumpster with an explosion of bar soap in it. And so I just kept doing it. And then that summer, it was like a year had gone by. Soap is everywhere. And I said to myself, I am going to take this to the farmer's market. I'm going to sell it to all of the people that live in the Hamptons. They're all going to love the story of how I make soap. I go, I get to the farmer's market. I set up the table, nothing, no one buys it. And I'm just like, what, what's like, how, like, I don't know why they'll, they have money. They'll, they'll buy a $10 bar of soap. Like what, what's going on? So I had like a good friend who said to me, I think it's your packaging and your brand. Like, you know, like, like what's the story? You know, you have a story, you made it, but like, it doesn't look elevated. It doesn't like, it looks like pound cake at this point. Like nothing was square. It really looked like a piece of pound cake. And uh, I was like, it was all like on the top was round. And she's like, you know, maybe you should cut it into a square. Maybe you should put it in a box. Why don't you like hand wrap a soap? So it looks like a pretty French soap. So I started doing that and I did a little bit better. Moved back to Brooklyn after the summer and there's soap everywhere in the house, like everywhere. And my husband's like, you got to do something or you got to get a job. I know you love this and you're like making a little bit of money here and there, but like, what's the next step? So this is about 10 years ago. Brooklyn is now like makers. It's the coolest spot you can live. Everyone's moving to Brooklyn. And I put in an application for the Brooklyn Flea. And I just did it because I didn't know what else to do. And I felt guilty not working. And I'm can you explain working. though? Can you just, I'm sorry for interrupting, but can you explain? Cause not everyone listening knows about the Brooklyn flea and I right. do, but I, you know, you said you put in an application and I think it's important for people to understand that you can't just go and sign up to sell at the Brooklyn flea. Right. So, and right. And at this time, the Brooklyn flea is the hottest flea market in New York. It's different than all these like little flea markets that are popping around that have been there for years that sell like made in China stuff. Like this is all real makers in Fort Greene. Like people from the city are taking the G train, which is like insane 10 years ago to inside deep into Brooklyn. And it's makers, it's wood makers, it's perfume. It was vintage clothing. That was amazing. It's, um, food, you know, like, like the, the coolest food vendors, you know, not just like an Italian sub, but like getting dumplings, getting like, you know, like Mexican, um, ice pops and just cool. Like the cool kids, all the cool kids. So I put the application in like, someone said to me like, Oh great. They get like 600 um, applications weekly. Like, I'm sure you're not going to get in. And I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. What am I going to do? There's soap everywhere. I'm getting offers to do personal assisting again. I took a personal assistant job in between waiting for the application. And I remember this woman was made me, um, I was braiding her hair, right? You know, this is, this is the level of where I'm at. I'm braiding a woman's hair. And on the corner of my phone, I see Brooklyn Flea on the come up on my phone and I'm braiding her hair. And I'm like, finish the braid. I'm like, I just gotta go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom, I look at it. And they said, can you come? and set up a booth. We love your brand. We don't have anyone making bar soap. So you would be great for the Brooklyn flea family. So I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to do it. I gave notice that day. I didn't even know if it was going to be a success, but I was like, girl, I cannot braid your hair and I cannot walk your dog. I just cannot do this. And so I, I left that job. I went home. I told Sebastian and he's like, awesome. So I went there with like the 200 bars of soaps that I had. And within like half a day, I sold everything. 
Oh my God. Everything. I had $1,200 cash in my pocket. You know, I didn't even have like a Venmo or like, I know what do they do? Oh, square. It was a square thing. Like I didn't even have square. You were cash only. Cash <laughs> only. I was like, the lady next to me is like, you need to get square. I was like, what's square? And she, she, she like made an application for me. She put it in. And then I like, we switched and we held each other's little square thing and popped in the phone. I was like, here you go. Here you go. So I, that was on Sunday, but on Saturday I just did cash. Came home, I told Sebastian, and I was like, oh my God, this is great. Went back the next day, I sold a little bit more, I brought more soaps. Shuffing everything in a Prius, you know, a farmer's market tent, you know, like putting everything up, rain, snow, windstorms. I, I did it for a year and it just, it was great. It was really, really great. I didn't do any wholesale. I just did this on the weekend. I worked in a coffee shop in the morning and came home, I made soap, still doing this out of our like you know, 600 square foot apartment with two dogs. And I was thinking to myself one day, I was like, well, if I can, if I can sell $10 soap, like what else can I sell? You know, like that little light bulb went off. So I was like, I, I honestly like no idea, all stuff that maybe I didn't never had money to buy this stuff. I never bought fancy candles. I never like, you know, I use nice soap, but like, did I know the difference? Now I did. So I, I started looking at like, um, brands I aspire to be like, and I looked at like Nest Fragrance. I was looking at Diptyque. I was looking at like La, um, Lafco, like all these brands. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. They sell soap. They sell liquid soap. They make candles. I'm going to start making candles. So, you know, next thing you know, I'm like ordering a box of wax to the apartment. Should never be probably selling the first, like, I'm going to say 500 candles I made. I probably, probably should not have sold those, but I did. And I made them in whiskey glasses, bought them in the, like the restaurant depot store. Cause you could, everything had to be like, I could buy it and like, like creatively make it ours. So like put a label on it, handwrite it, you know, um, and doing all this stuff, even like wrapping the soap, every single one of my friends came over one Friday night and like, I wine them, I dine them and then we wrap soaps. And then they were like, I'm never doing this again. I was like, okay, no problem. <laughs> so I did this for a year and I had like one like magical weekend. Um, like a hurricane came through Williamsburg and I remember holding onto my tent and like my hair going back and like rain hitting me sideways, like, and going into the tent. And I saw soap on my table because the samples that were out to smell were bubbling. And I just was like, Oh dear Lord, this is like, I got to get this together. Like, this is cute. And I just don't know how long I can do this. And then there was also like moments of like clarity where I would see like, how am I going to do this when I get older? Like, I just can't be sitting in a flea market as much as I loved it. And I would dream to do this forever. I knew I had to grow this to the next level. So sun comes back out. I'm like soaking wet. You know, I have like farmer's tan all summer. I had like, you know, wearing Ray-Bans back then, Ray-Ban tan. And I'm selling this lady three candles and uh, some guy comes by. He's like, I'm opening up a concept store based on makers in Brooklyn. We'd love you to be part of it. Do you wholesale? But you didn't even know what it was, right? I, you I, were- I didn't even think about it. I mean, I knew what wholesale was because I worked for a wholesaler prior to starting this, but I was like, I never thought about that. You like, hadn't even so flushed good. it out in your head, right? Yeah. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll send you a catalog. I'll send it. I'll send it to you on, on Monday. Right. I'm like, from like apotheky.soap at Gmail. Like I don't even have a website. So I give, he gives me his card. I give him my little card that I have and I take the ladies 90 bucks. She gave me a hundred dollar bill and told me to keep the change for the three candles she bought, bought. And I go and I put the hundred dollars and I was like, oh, let me see what the name of that guy was that came by. I take the card out and it's the um, CEO of West Elm. 
Oh my God. I was like, I blew it. 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 So I go home that night. I make like a little fake catalog up in like PowerPoint with like pictures in my kitchen, you know, like of the candles and basically said, we have 10 soaps, we have 10 candles. And then I, I randomly made up a diffuser with a spice jar and I put reed sticks in it. It was something I was working on, but like nothing that was a product. And we had these 10, it was 10 cents and it was a spice jar, not no labeling, just again, something you can buy bulk. Right. And I put it together and I sent it off and I fell asleep on the couch and was just like, I'm so tired of doing this. And Sebastian was like on a yacht cooking because he was a private chef. So in my head, he's partying, but really he's cooking. I'm like, I hate my life. I hate this. This is so hard. I have to get a job. I, I ruined the West Elm thing. And then Monday morning, I, you know, get up and go into the coffee shop at 6 a.m. into the city. And I have an order from West Elm that's like 60 to $80,000. I just, I should look and remember, but. Oh my God. Right. So I go to the coffee shop. I didn't quit yet. I almost wanted to quit that day, but I was like, I'll just finish the week. Right. And so I get back home and the UPS guy is like probably the only person other than the Brooklyn flea people that I talk work with because you know, I do this alone in my, in my house. So the UPS guy is becoming like my buddy. He's coming every day to my door (laughs) and he's like the UPS ground home guy. He's not even like the business, you know, like guy. So I was like, Hey, I got good news. I got a huge order. You know, he's like, Oh, great. He's like, you know, it's probably gonna have to go freight. And I'm like, what's freight? He goes, it goes on a pallet. I was like, yeah, I'll help you. I'll help you get it in the elevator and we'll bring it down. I'll make sure Sebastian's home. We'll help you out. He's like, no, no, no. Like I'm, I'm residential. Like you're going to need like, you know, like, um, corporate, you know, like company. And I was like, Oh, all right. He's like, you're probably going to need a factory. Like they're not going to pick it up at your, like your, your building. And I was like, all right. So I was like, all right. So I kind of find a factory. So I'm like home alone, Sebastian's, you know, partying with like the celebs in my head. Right. And I go for a walk in bed and, um, I have a little dachshund. And I walk around literally around the block. I have this thing for like our factory is always like two blocks away from wherever I live. And I walk around the block and a gentleman, a Hasidic Jewish guy comes over to me. He goes, good morning. And I'm like, good morning. And then I stopped and I'm like, woman, dog. He's talking to me. Turn around. I'm like, he has a huge factory. And I was like, this is meant to be. This is I know this is my space. I know this is it. So I was like, hey, can I ask you a question? He's like, sure, ask me anything. I said, I need a factory. I need some space. I have a big order and I can't do this out of my house. I live over here. He's like, oh, oh, I know where you live, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, can, do you have some space that I can rent from you? He's like, of course I do, right? So he's like, come in, take a look. And I'm like walking into this like brickless building on uh, Bedford Avenue in Brooklyn. And he's like, how, how much space do you know? And he said, how much money do you have? And I said, how much space do you have? So I was like, um, he's like, how much space do you need? So I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I think I need, I'm like, like I have any idea. Right. And I'm like, I think I need this much space. And I put my hands out in the corner of this windowless factory and he's making notebooks from same machinery since the 1940s that his great grandfather had done. And they're making notebooks, um, school notebooks for oh the uh, schools. Um, in New York. And they're just sewing the center, cutting them. And he has everything, a forklift, everything, you know, like, I'm like, this is amazing. Right. So I, 
I, I go, I, I really did this. I, I said, all right, it, this is now June. Right. And it's like, and I know that I have till. So at this point already, while Sebastian's away, things are really moving fast. Like I got an application for Grand Central at the same time. And I was accepted to do the Grand Central um, market. And that's like $20,000 and you have to pay oh it in advance. So I borrow money from my friend, Bridget. I'm like, I can make 20 grand. If I work every single day and I sell whatever I can, I can pay her back. If we just break even, we break even. We're totally great. So I have that going on. I have this West Elm order that I have to figure out how to make all this stuff. And I then need money to do this. So I have $6,000 in my savings account. That's pretty much about it. And I'm like, I need that. I need a space for six months. So I really just was like 6,000 divided by six. I'm like, I have a thousand dollars a month. And if this works out, I'll continue to rent it. If it doesn't, I'm good. And this never is going to work. It's not going to work out. And I'll be getting a job in January. So this was the, the plan. So he said, deal. And I was like, okay. So I rolled my stuff from my apartment in like, like a shopping cart. Oh my God. I took from the Home Depot and I did like 17 trips and I moved my stuff over to this notebook factory. And the best part about this, and which I think is like golden for like, you know, like one risk, you know, Sebastian came home and I'm like, good news. Um, I'm doing Grand Central. I'm getting it together. I know you told me I have to get a job. This is all going to work out. I am doing Grand Central. On average, I found out that we could probably do like $100,000. Like if we're lucky, I'm going to make money. I said, I have an order for West Elm and I have someone who's going to help us and work the Brooklyn fleet. And I took all my money out of my savings account and I have a factory. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> he was like, if it was turned around, I would have been like, what did you do? Instead, Sebastian's always been, I think everyone here knows this. He's always, he always trusts me. He always trusts me. And I think as much as like, he drives me nuts, like he's always trust me always anything I want to do. He says, okay. He's like, all right, where is it? Like at first, like I wasn't even nervous. Like I was nervous. Like he'd be like, so we have no money in the bank. I'm like, no money in the bank. Well, I have no money in the bank. I don't know what you have, but I have no money in the bank. And he's like, all right, let's do it. So Sebastian was really interested in all this because you know, I'm used to making six soaps. Now I have to make 600. So he's like, you don't make six soaps a hundred times. You have to figure out how to make like a batch of 250 or 500 because like, and he knows this from working in the kitchen. Like, so Chrissy, when I have a, a wedding, we don't make 50 soups. We, we make 500 soups. We're done. We did it all. So he was really interested in the production part of everything that we're doing. And so I rolled over there in June Working, it's like it was great. I'm like, I mean, everything just worked out perfect. The West Elm order, I, I did it. I, I basically did the whole order. I got it out. We did Grand Central. We were like the highest gross like booth that year. Like we sold so much stuff. I mean, I had friends coming to the factory at night, pouring candles, making candles, making soap. We worked like 75 days straight, about 12 hours from like September. From like October to December 25th, I did every single day at Grand Central, came back after work at eight o'clock at night, went to the factory, organized the next shipment with Sebastian, who was cooking at night and doing this in the daytime. And we just, we just like powered through like six months until January 1st. And then I didn't even have QuickBooks. I had everything in like Excel, like not even Excel, I'm lying. I had it on graph paper. 
And because in my head, graph paper is an Excel spreadsheet. And I um, went through everything and I was like, holy cow, we did $400,000 this year. Oh my God. You know? And I was like, and I had money. I had money. Like I had, I had cash under the bed. I had, I had a bank account, you know, I had a checkbook and it just started to grow like that. And it got better and better and better. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high-quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast. As I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast, Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. I, I've been very quiet, and, <laughs> and then normally I'm not, but I am. I have been because this is, an amazing story. (laughs) I mean, this is like, this is the stuff that dreams are made of. I mean, this is, you know, you risked a lot. You, you had nothing. You didn't know what you were doing. This came from a soap kit. You know, when you, when you think about it and you dial it back, you had a soap kit on your desk. You know, I, I have so many questions for you (laughs) about this, but one of my biggest things that I want to know, and you referred to kind of when your friend said to you, you know, you have this great soap, but what's your story? And that's the, the amazing thing about your business is that you're selling soap and candles. I mean, these are like not, it's not like you, you know, invented something that, you know, no. that someone needs. So what is the story and what is this, the, like, what is the importance of the story and how does your story connect with people in a way that they buy your soap and your candles? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, I ask myself this every day because sometimes it is a, it's a very questionable question. So I like to think that what I think that we've done different from any other company that can start, you know, you can, you can make soap tomorrow. You can get the best graphic designer. You can get a social media person and you can do it all. And most people know that looks like a new business, a new direct to consumer business. I think that we just really have natural growth. Like this is so organic. Like I have been standing in a flea market through, I mean, in snow, like shoveling my 10 by 10 booth out to pop it in. I feel like everyone in New York almost knows Apotheke and somehow they know me because I am so much of the brand. And I think, you know, we, yes, it's, it's a handcrafted soap. We make it here in a factory. It's hand cut. We stamp it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Again, it's soap, but I think it's the story of the brand that like we are in 500 of the best little shops all across America. And I can name every single one of them. 
And I'm still like, we're just hiring a VP of sales because I know that there's a bigger picture for Apotheki and I'm holding the company back if I don't hire a VP of sales to know every single person in all 500 stores. I, I can tell you, you know, you know, Annie from Annie's Blue Ribbon has three kids. She lives in Park Slope. I can tell you that Duman home, he is a dad and, you know, he's from Czechoslovakia and he's got two boys and I know their age. And I know that, you know, um, Lara from Italy is like born and bred in Italy. She's got the thickest accent. She loves apotheki and she's got bigger dreams for her. Like I, I know so much about everyone that we're connected to. And but I then, think that they know that about me. Well, and so I was going to say, so let's talk about that. So the story of the brand is really you, you know, at yeah. the end of the day, and it's you and the fact that you did put yourself out there and you did stand in the flea market and you were the one that was selling to the people who were coming to the flea market. They were asking you, why, why do I want your soap? What's in your soap? You were the one doing that. But let's reverse this for a second, because you just said something that I think every entrepreneur and founder needs to take note of. And that is how much you care about your customer. And I'm not saying the end user in this, in this game, right. I'm saying your stores, you knowing these little bits of information and you being connected to these stores, that's what gets them to keep coming back to you. It's you. Yeah. Right. And I, I really believe that a successful business, like I, I, like there is direct consumer, all these new brands. And like, it is a dream. It is a dream that you could sell with no physical location. You don't have to do wholesale and have 50% margins and, and do all this. And it's great. But I think a healthy business today in 2022 is, is like a, a very healthy division of like wholesale store, uh, direct to consumer and, um, and retail. And having a retail shop, you know, it's it's not just like all direct to consumer. It's not just being like if you're if you're all just wholesale, then you're not connecting with the other customer that's out there that can just buy directly from you. So like we work super super um, um, close with our wholesale companies. Like if we're having a sale, we let them know like, hey, we're doing ten percent off. If you want to do it or you need us to match something, just let us know. So we're just very connected um, as a company to what's going on with our customers. And, well, and that's what makes you successful. Yeah. And then like, as the company grows, right. Like Chrissy's great. It's great. Everyone knows us. But I think that like the second part of growing a company is then really building the brand. And like, what are the pillars that our brand stands for? And I think it's like, we feel like, you know, the next step is, Oh yeah, we know Chrissy. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've had people from like American airlines contact us about like doing an amenity program with them. And somebody comes in, they're like, I met you at the Brooklyn Flea. And I'm like, you did? You're like, I, I, I bought like a shaving soap. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot we had shaving soap. You know, I'm like, yeah, that was me. I was there. So it, it's funny. And I also think doing this in New York, you do get to meet so many people. So there is a little bit, it's like, it is easier. It's hard to be a business in New York. And, but it is easier because you do, have, you're, you're so accessible to stores, to people, to the flea markets, to locations and doing things. Um, but then I think the second part about growing your company is knowing like, what is your brand, your, what does your brand stand for? What are your pillars? And it's like, you know, we're, we are affordable. We're not a $68 candle, you know, but you are splurging when you buy our candle, you are spending money. We know you're spending money. We're really, we're really happy about it. So we make sure that if you're spending $42 with us, we want to make you feel like you spent 68 or $88 with us. So how do we do that? 
So, you know, it's like making sure that the candle is beautiful, that it's super scented the way our customer wants the candle to be scented, um, beautiful packaging, um, and, um, understanding like, what is our customer value? It's their home, their family, great pricing, but not a sale, but just like, you know, like I want to be able to buy three candles on site, not just one. Like I want three candles. When I, when I shop for myself personally, like I feel good if I could put two things in a bag and buy it, you know, I don't want to buy one. So, and I think we know our customer and like what they value. And as the company is growing, I do feel like our, like our creative team, our digital team, our social media, like we were just talking about this, like we are all like, we're all the same. Like we really understand our, like we're all very similar in different ways. You know, I'm like twice the age of like our digital, you know, our digital girl, but at the (laughs) same time, like we totally connect, like we totally, like we get it, you know, and we get apotheke and we get what the brand is. So one of the things that I also, that you, you mentioned a couple of times about how you would have friends come over and help package things up or friends come to the factory and pour the candles. And, you know, I, I made a note as you were talking that, you know, you get this West Elm order and you're standing in your house and talking yeah. to the UPS man. How, were, how did you know, like, did you have a moment of like, oh my, oh shit, like, how am I going to fill this order? I mean, that's a huge order to be, you know, putting out yeah. your house. So like when, when that happened, you likely had to make a shift in terms of how you were producing. And I know you, you brought up how Sebastian came in and he started yeah. with the production. So talk about that mind, that mind shift and how you kind of knew you needed some help and how you figured out how to get it. Okay. So that's, that's great. That's a really great question. I think I was, I don't, I really don't think I had a moment where I was like, shoot, how am I going to do this? I think I was so pumped. And I knew that this was like, like the time to do it. And I was like, I mean, if I had to, I mean, for those six months to get this going, I mean, it was 12 hour days, seven days a week with a sick parent. And I'm like, you just got to do it. There's just no time to sleep. There's no time to stop. And we're just going to figure it out. Like at one moment, I would say probably like November when everything had shipped, and we're waiting like the net 30 and we're waiting for grand central, you know, black Friday had just happened. I remember, I think I owed like a good amount of money, like, like a good amount of money to friends, my mom credit card. And I was like, I had one moment, I think financially is where I always stress is like a money thing where I was just like, if this doesn't work, this really, really stinks. This really, really stinks. But like making the product and getting it there I had no problem. I, I never, I was not fearful of it at all. So when that year ended and you had the $400,000 and you're like, oh my God, I actually have money now. How did that change your business? And how, what did you do going into the next year? What were the changes that you made to legitimize this even more than you were coming out of that year and, and coming off of the graph paper? So I got a bookkeeper <laughs> who... Open up QuickBooks for me. That was the first thing. Um, I hired two employees. One was the cleaning lady from my house who really didn't clean that well. If she ever watches this, but she knows that she didn't really clean well. She was adorable and I loved her. And I was like, do you want to clean houses or do you want to come make soap in the factory? And she just, all she cared about was if it was full time. And I was like, full time, you got it. We'll do this. So I hired her and then I hired Carly, who is still with us seven, eight years later. She is our creative director um, and she is 
pretty much the voice of apotheke where we like, she's like the top pillar of this is what we're going to do. This is creatively what I can see we can do. And then, um, I usually agree or I come up with an idea and then she makes my idea happen. So we kind of work together where I'll be like, I want to do something that's like super dramatic and really weird for spring this year. And I want it to feel like we're all staying in like, like, like these exotic hotels in Thailand. I want prints and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, I'll make that happen. And then, so we, we bounce off each other. So I hired her and after that, we like, I mean, we were in an, we were in a space that's like the size of this office. I'm talking like our little factory was 300 square feet for four years. And I stayed there for four years. We did not move. Um, I also don't like change. So I just, we just didn't make a lot of changes that first year. I kept doing it the way we did. But hiring um, people is a big change because that was, a, that was big. It, and, that, and that really puts you on the map in a much different way than yeah. it just being you and your friends tying up. Two employees probably spent a little bit on equipment, but again, we're in something that's 250 square feet. We're buying pots, we're buying pans. You know, we had one computer at the time for the two of us to use. I'm like, you want to use the computer? All right, I'll do something else. You know, <laughs> so um, it was like that. And um, but no, the first year I didn't make many changes. I still like it was like, well, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work? Like, let's not do anything too crazy in case it doesn't work. I did the Brooklyn Flea for another like three years. Um, every year the, the flea market, um, booth got a little bit like more elevated, started to look more like a retail store. Um, we added more products, um, liquid soaps, lotions. Um, we've done bar soaps always, and we added some products. And then I learned that like adding products isn't always the answer, you know, like doing what you do best and knowing what sells the best is better than just keep adding stuff and then getting confused. Like at one moment we had a skincare line. It sold really well, but I'm like, we're not skincare. We have to focus on what we are. We are home fragrance and liquid soap and lotion is for your home. So, you know, we justify that, but like, no, we're not, we're not, we're not skin. It was cute. I love it. I see it in Dropbox or old photos. I'm like, oh, but I'm like, we staying focused on what we were, but I didn't, other than the payroll and hiring some people, not much changed for a good two years. Where are you now? How many employees do you have? How big is your factory? Because you have your own factory. So tell us where you are now. So Apotheke, um, we're at about 25 employees. And then we, in, in the factory, uh, between production, um, sales, and creative. And then we have some 1099 folks that are doing like ad spend for us. So I would say in total, we're like 25 to 30 people. We have a 16,000 square foot factory here and we do about $12 million in revenue a year now. Congratulations. Thanks. I mean, I hope that you are so proud of yourself and I know that it takes like a minute when you're like, you don't go through every day being like proud of yourself. Right. But sometimes when you tell this story and I hope that you sharing this story and telling this story and those words that just came out of your mouth, which were, yeah. we do $12 million a year in business. I hope you realize what a big fucking deal that is because, <laughs> you know, like I do, I, I, I feel like we work really hard to do it. And I think that's what I'm proud of our team for. And I think, um, my moments of when I'm like, like you doing it, like really it, it's not even numbers. I think it's, um, it's my kids. You know, I have two little girls that are seven and four 
And um, I mean, they are apotheky. Like they, they are apotheky. Like um, Jessica, our, our um, social media um, handler, right? So she's more than that, but let's, uh, title-wise, Instagram, you know, creating content. Now she's running our ambassador program and it's like, just keep adding stuff. And, you know, and now I'm talking to her and I'm like, so what's the next role? What's the next thing we need here? And it's like, I actually think we need a content creator. And I'm like, all right, let's hire one. And, you know, Jessica's like, okay. I'm like, are you good at managing? Because I just want to know if, you know, I, I can't do it. You know, I cannot do it. I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't know what you guys are doing in that little corner, but like, this is for you. And if you're going to do it, you got to figure out how to like, you're going to have to figure out time, like your time, your schedule and managing all this. And she's like, uh, yeah, okay. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, Hey, how much is ambassadors bringing in? And she'll be like, we do A, B, C, and D. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I feel like you should get a cut of that. And she's like, Oh, okay. And I'm like, all right, work on that. You know? And then I leave. Right. So my kids now hear me say stuff like this. And then like, I'll be eating dinner. And my little one, Penny is like obsessed with Jessica, right? Obsessed. You know, she's obsessed that she's obsessed that Jessica has a work phone. That's all she cares about is that I bought Jessica a phone and I did not buy my seven-year-old a phone. And she's like, did you bring it home? And I was like, I, I don't, I don't actually, I don't know. I mean, I hope she does. Right. And she's like, does she have apps on it? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I know she has TikTok. That's like, right. You know, like she's like, she has an apothecary TikTok account. And I'm like, yeah. And then I picked them up from school again, everything in my life. Like I think half of my success is that I live like two miles. No, no, no. Like 0.2 miles away from the factory in Red Hook. I love Red Hook. My kids go to school down the block. I'm like, I literally like get up in the morning. I dress them. I drop them off at home. I go back home. I shower. I sometimes do Peloton. Not as much as I should. Sometimes I do Peloton. I shower and then I stop back in front of the school. I get a bodega coffee. And then I usually walk into somebody I know at work, walking to work. And then we walk to work, which is two blocks away. So that's, and that's part of why you're able to manage all of this success and is, be a mom. And because you've kept that's, it tight that's 15 to 20 hours a week that I gain to work more or to be with my kids. So, um, my kids though, know how well we're doing and they love it. Like, you know, we go to like a store and like my little one is four and she's like, I spy apothecary. And sometimes I don't even see it. We're at like a shop. I'm like, what is she? you know, I'm like, what is she talking about? And it's like, they had like a candle up there and she sees it. And then we get to the, we get to the register to, you know, buy the, you know, I don't know. I spend all my money in coffee shops all over the world. It feels like, and <laughs> my seven-year-old is like, my mom is the owner of the candle that you're burning in the bathroom. I blew it out. <laughs> and then we like, you know, so like, that's what I love is that they, they get it, you know? I mean, I am also the mom of two girls. And one of my greatest moments was when I walked in on my daughter playing bump club, you know, and she was like, she was emulating one of our events. So I, I do get it. And I know how important it is to set a good example for your kids, because you want them to know that they can start a business in your kitchen and make it a wild success. Yeah. Right? And, and, and I feel like there's just so much conversation that I can have with them that like, other parents can't like, you know, we just offered, um, ESL classes, um, to anyone that wants them. And my little one is like, you know, mom, that's really, really great of you because you need to help people in the world. And if you're going to help people in the world, it should be the ones that work with you. 
and make your candles. And I just was like, you're right, Penny, you know, and, you know, and I go and then like, I, and it's just cute because then she goes to school and then she'll tell like the teacher will be like, and my, my kids go to um, um, a charter school here in Brooklyn. So they have their days in Spanish, which is amazing. And Sebastian's from Argentina. So it, it, it all works out really nice. And the teacher's like, oh, Penny told us that you're offering ESL classes to everyone at work. And I was like, oh yeah. And she's like, you're amazing. And like, that's where I find the joy of like, yes. My success is to be able to do stuff like this for anybody, anybody, you know, like anyone, like they all know if they want to take a class, they can go take a class. If they want to leave work at four o'clock, I'm totally okay with it. And that's the culture that you're bringing to your office and to your your company and to your brand. And when you have that success happens when you are making money and you are getting a little bit bigger, like I couldn't offer this five years ago, right? you know, but it's so amazing that you are now. And that speaks a lot to you and your character. I only have a couple of more questions. I want to be mindful of our time, but you did say something that I think is important. You said, I'm the one that's holding us back. And you you said, I don't have a VP of sales because I'm the one that's holding us back. So how do you get over that hurdle so that Uh, you can move forward? And and I know it's very hard to let go. It's it's very hard hard to to delegate. So I... I'm letting go. I am really trying. I, I'm, I'm doing it. This is the 2022 goal for me. Um, one, I am holding back because I can't have my my finger on every single dish here. And I I do that. And I and when you do that and you have your hand in too many pots, then no one's going to succeed. We're all working at like 60%. We're not, we're not working at, we're not even working close to like 90. I'm not even saying we need to be a hundred, right? So I know that there's missed opportunity because I think that I should be in charge of all the department stores because why they're, they're one of the most major components of our business and I'm the CEO and I have other things to do. I should be looking for another store. I should be in the city. I should be doing things like this to get our story out, to make our company more successful, to make everyone that works here more successful. So I, 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 I know what we need to do. I know that the hires are hard Um, it's more communication, it's more roles, it's more deliverables, it's more making sure everyone is, you know, it's more HR and everything. So I think that like, I hold it back because I want to keep it small, but I know that it's the company is ready to explode. And we're starting to feel that. And I know that I now know that if we bring in the right people for VP of sales, like they will do a better job than me. That's, that's half the step, half the battle is knowing that. So yeah. 2022, you have, well, you have your flagship store. You said you were opening two more. Are you allowed to say where? Uh, sure. I mean, it's nothing's confirmed, but New York city, um, because you know, we love Brooklyn, but we yeah, love of course. New York city and, uh, the flagship store is really special because it's in the factory. So it's, um, it's great. And if any, if you know the way Red Hook is, it's also a very small little town. We don't have a subway. We are community driven. We have like cobblestone we don't have we have cobblestone streets we have one school you know like 17 kids on our little block all go to the school and I know every single one of them so I think that like more exposure in the city would be great and then it would be west coast is where we would love to go um and I I need to free up my time that I can actually travel and do stuff and not feel like oh my gosh I have to put together the um the UPC page for for Nordstrom (laughs) (laughs) you know, because I'm the only person that can do it. I'm not the only person that can do it. I just need someone to have our back and understand it. So 
Um, it's it's going to be great. So other and, than the two new stores, what else for 2022? Anything else that you can share? Any any other goals that are on the horizon? Mm, no, I mean, no, I mean, we have a lot of, I, yes, there's a lot of fun stuff. What I think is really great because we are the makers, we have the factory and we can produce things. We have some really amazing collaborations happening. I mean, I can't even tell you, but it's to a point where like you would never associate um, an elevated home fragrance brand making a candle for this type of. I can't wait to see company. And it is, it's, it's amazing. I, 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 I'm smiling thinking about it because I think it's just so great. And it's a company that is, it's, it's a chain. Um, it's, it's food. And, and and Jessica's like, and that's it. And that is it. And they have the same type of, um, pillars as us about like their employees, where they source their ingredients, um, transparency and, and price point. And I think it's going to be fantastic. So I think our collabs are really what's fun. Um, we're continuing to work with J crew, um, which has been a huge, huge, um, success for both of us. Like we just love their company and it feels like the right fit if we're going to develop and create fragrances for J crew. So we're working on spring, um, with them and yeah, just that's like fun stuff like that. So before we wrap up, the last thing that I always ask all of our guests is the same question. And it's basically, if you were to have the opportunity to tell a new founder or someone who's inspired to start their own business or their own company, three things, what are those three things that you would tell them? Uh, to, one, I would, if you really believe in it, take advice from your friends and people that you really trust their opinions. That's the first thing I, I, I have. I've noticed myself with friends that are opening up businesses. I was like, Hey, you know, I just, I just don't think that name is the right name for it. I think you could do something better. And they're like, well, I already paid for it. And I, I have a website for it. And I'm like, and now it's like four years later, you know, they're so stuck on this name and they can't do something different because that name is so like stuck there. So I think, really listening to your peers and your friends. You don't have to do it all, but just really be open to like, why? Like, why, why do you think I should make a candle that looks like a lighthouse? And just listen, and it might not make sense, but listen to like what, you know, everyone has to say. Um, secondly, um, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, if you think, if you believe in what you can do and you know, like, all right, I, I do need a little bit of cash to do this. As long as you know how you can pay that person back, like I can break even and I can do it. If you can, if uh, I would suggest that um, because that I, I stopped myself in the past from doing anything because I was worried about money. Um, so that, and then what would be the third is um, you, you just, I, I think you got to, somebody once told me that you become a success when you do something for 10 years. Like if you do the same job for 10 years, you should be like, a, a pro you should be like upper management like if you are let's say uh, like shipping if you're a shipping manager for 10 years like you should be able to go wherever you want to any company and say i know how to do a b c and d i can put the deliverables in i can do platforms i can create this so i would say um keep at it you know like 10 it's 10 years it's five years that you should feel that you should like feel it but 10 years if you really want to do it just keep at it i really i don't know maybe i don't really have the right you know I, maybe I don't know, you know, I don't but know. Here, that's the thing is that none of us really know, you know, yeah. like 
you didn't know when you started. I didn't know when I started. I say that all the time. Like a lot of times entrepreneurs are flying by the seat of their pants, even when they are making $12 million a year in revenue, you do learn as you go. Even, even at this point, there's always yeah. something new to learn. So right. Chrissy Fitchell, thank you so much for sharing the Apotheky story with me, with your founder, with our audience. You are an inspiration. You are, you are truly an inspiration and I cannot wait for everyone to hear all about you and what you've created. Thanks, and I would love to host you. Come down to Red Hook and come sit on the couch with me. Well, I would certainly love that and I cannot wait for my next trip to New York so I can take a seat on Chrissy's couch. How amazing is she? Do you feel like you just sat through one of the most amazing and inspiring story times for entrepreneurs? I just love her story and I'm so glad that I got to share it with all of you. And I'm so glad that my podcast, Your Founder, connected me with not only Chrissy, but with Apotheky because like I said at the top of the show, their products are awesome. Take out your pen and paper though, because it's time for some of Chrissy's key takeaways. Number one, your story is everything. Chrissy created a business being the lady who sold soap at the Brooklyn Fleet. Number two, relationships are everything. You have to take care of your customers, all your customers, not just your end user. Number three, make your life convenient and make it work for you. Chrissy has her work life, home life, mom life, her workouts, her kids school and everything honestly within a two block radius. You gain so much time by keeping things efficient and I think the way that Chrissy does it is a lesson for all of us. Number four, collaborations are an amazing way to grow your presence and business. Stay tuned for some amazing partnerships coming from Apotheky. Number five, if you really believe in it, take advice from your friends and people that you really trust and their opinions to make your business happen. Number six, don't be afraid to ask for help. Know how how you can pay people back and take the help when you can. And number seven, keep at it. None of us really know what the future is going to bring, but if you love it, keep doing it. Thank you so much for joining me and Chrissy on today's episode of Dear Founder. Make sure you're following me along at Lindsay Pinchuk and Dear Founder on Instagram. You can also actually find Dear Founder on TikTok as well. You can go to lindsaypinchuk.com for more. I have some amazing, amazing guests coming up. So please subscribe to Dear Founder on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And please make sure to leave a rating and review if you like what it is that you're hearing here. If you know someone who wants to start a business or who has an idea like Chrissy, please, please, please text them this episode, share it with them, share it in your Instagram stories, tag me, and I will be sure to share it to say thank you. Stay tuned. We'll be back soon with another episode of Dear Founder. 